I've lived in northern Monmouth County in New Jersey my entire life. I've been a fiction writer, actor, playwright, blogger, gourmet chef, home renovator, event planner, landscape architect, and decorator. I'm married to a professional drummer who is also an award-winning photographer, so the arts have always been really important to me. There are so many people in this part of New Jersey that are involved in the arts, and I am planning to talk to all of them. Well, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And I'm inviting you to listen in. I'm Lucille Sapio, talking arts and culture, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk. You could call Pat Guadano simply an entertainer because all of the music that he performs is what you might call cover music. But anyone who has seen him perform will say that Pat reinterprets music in a very unique fashion. His original style has really made him somewhat of an institution in New Jersey and actually in lots of other places as well because Pat loves to do concerts and he's done a series of concerts well beyond the boundaries of the Jersey Shore. Of course, he isn't performing now as most live musicians are not. But I'm talking to Pat today about what really differentiates him from some other performers and how he has reacted to the coronavirus, where he sees the future of the live music industry, and what you need to think about if you want to be a professional performer like him. Pat has a website, P-A-T-G-U-A-D-A-G-N-O.com, and you can find him on YouTube on his own channel. You're going to hear a lot of background noise when we talk today because we've got cicadas and motorcycles competing with us, but I think you're going to enjoy getting into Pat Quadano's head. Hello, Pat. Hello, Lucille. I am so happy that you were able to come and talk with me today. I sure am, too. I set my alarm and got up at the crack of 9 o'clock. It was great. <laughs> Well, this is a great chance to get inside of your head and see what makes you tick. Oh, if you find anything in there. I lost a lot of stuff in there. Let me know. <laughs> but we, we met several years ago, I think, when Gary had recruited you to sing in a jingle. Yeah, yeah. I did a jingle here with uh, Gary and uh, I think Jose. Right, Jose Lou. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Uh, it was for the windmill. Was it? Oh, my God, oh, right. that's right. I, I love that jingle. Yeah. Smell hot dogs cooking on the grill. Mountains of cheese fries give me a thrill. The hamburgers, chicken, ribeye steaks give me it all. You know I just can't wait. It's a bigger taste, a better taste. All I want is that a windmill, windmill, windmill taste. You've done other jingles, right? I've done a couple of them. Yeah, oddly enough, my my. Jingles have all been about things that I truly believe in, like spiritually, like the windmill. I spent many years in radio advertising, even working for the company that owned 101.5, but I never realized that Big Joe Henry had a show, and they had a house band, and that you were the musical director. How did that happen? We became friends uh, a long time ago. Joe's just a wonderful humanitarian, and uh, we just hit it off, and... We both had a passion for, for helping other people, and he had a, a huge vehicle for it because of his uh, his radio presence. We started a 501c3 charity foundation, and we began doing Christmas shows for uh, the needy, for the homeless, for the AIDS Resource Foundation, and we just started doing a lot of, of humanitarian things together because that's really what he was all about. We always had fun on uh, Sunday nights when my band used to play at Cheers and Joe used to come in. We sat down at a 
at a bar one night on a cocktail napkin and said, let's do some more shows. So we came up with the idea for a variety show. We've, uh, we've been doing it for a couple of years now. As you mentioned before, just about all the, the music that you sing is cover music, music that was recorded by someone else originally and then you've redone it. I've got to find another name for what I do because <laughs> it's hurt me all my life. It really has because it's, it's, uh, it doesn't remotely describe what I do. Yeah, and because reviewers say that your ability to reinterpret these songs into your own style really make, you really make them unique and you give the songs new meaning. I, that's what I, I, I try to do. And it just came came about by not really being able to play the songs as well as they were written <laughs> by putting my own cowboy chords to them. But I, I discovered, I really discovered early in life the um, the power and, and the beauty of being a songwriter and just the gift that, that songwriters had. The few that I knew were, were just so gifted and I, I wanted to share that with uh, other people because I was, I was able to help bring those songs out. What song have you reimagined that you think is really, you've really changed the meaning of it most significantly? Is there a song that really kind of pops in your head? Um, because I saw you do Bus Stop and it was like, no, this can't be the bus stop. And I'm like, whoa, <laughs> it is. Bus stop where day she's there, I said, please say my home. Bus stop, bus goes, she stays, love grows under my own. Yeah, I've had a lot of fun with that, and uh, that kind of put me on the map. That song I got a lot of radio airplay and, uh, and a lot of recognition all around the world, which was kind of fun for me. My last album, I uh, I recorded some of one of Bruce's songs. I recorded "Born to Run," and I recorded it with just an acoustic guitar. And, and when you strip it down to a guitar and a vocal, you really emphasize the lyric on it. There's some beautiful words and phrases and lines in there, and it just uh, that's one that comes to mind. So you are really well known here in New Jersey, and apparently in a much wider area. Do you Absolutely. sell a lot of your albums outside of this area? It changes every day. I don't have a distributor. I started distributing on, on CD Baby when it first came out, and that platform has just has grown to include uh, Spotify. I don't think anybody sells albums anymore. We just give them away. Yeah. I have a lot of them that I made up that I didn't sell, but it's, I get reports every uh, month about who's listening and who's actually uh, downloading yeah. and, and, and but mainly it's it's listens now I think the, um, the whole industry now is um, is on streams who's streaming your music and I'm just I'm, I'm floored when I see the uh, the reach thousands and thousands of people all over the world are downloading or listening and uh, one of the newest newest coolest things that I notice is Apple music reports shazams there are 500 people shazammed one of your songs today and i don't know how any of that stuff works but it's uh, it's cool because I, I i like it's it's just amazing that's all i ever wanted to do was share my music with with more people 
you know, being married to a musician, I'm hearing about how the internet and social media has really affected the music industry. And it seems that now you can't make a living. Well, well, first of all, it's hard to make a living as a musician in the first place. But to make a living now, because you can't sell albums, really. You can't sell your music. It's all about live performances. Even some of the top groups in the world have to go on tour to make a living. Right. It used to be you, you toured to support an album so people would buy your album and that's how you made the money and you didn't make any money on tour and now you have to make money on tour because nobody's selling albums and it's, now it's more about shirts than it is albums because people mm. are buying merchandise. But the internet is a, a, you'll never hear a disparaging word from me about it because it's just introduced me to so many different people and allowed so many more pe people to hear my music and uh, it doesn't really matter if you know what kind of, if i make 0.009 cents per stream it's 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 a thousand people that would never have heard my music yeah. played it in my living room you know yeah and I, and i think for a lot of artists it's i mean yes in the back of your mind everybody wants to make a living from what they do but right. for most artists it's like they're not doing it for the money they're doing it because they love doing it you can't you can't get into this or even think about getting into this for the money because if you, you wanted to make money then you'd be a stockbroker or something <laughs> I always say every day I love my job. It's a great way to make a living. I have no idea whether or not I'm ever going to be able to do it again or uh, have to do it differently. I've been doing some live streaming concerts and things like that from my daughter's house. And uh, that's been fun. That's been a whole new thing to get used to. And it was strange at first not having any feedback at all, no audience feedback, because I couldn't read the comments. But when I got home and started reading the comments yeah. and how much people needed to hear music. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's sort of like things have you know, made this full circle because yeah. it used to be back in, I guess, in the 50s, everything on television was live. Right. You know, and there weren't, concerts weren't a big thing in the 50s, not till I guess, the mid-60s. So really, if you wanted to hear live music, you watched it on television. And the, the, the regulations in the industry are changing every day, too. Although it seems like if you don't have a song that you've written, as a musician, you're, you're not in that mainstream of making money. You're not. Almost every musician I know, and I know a lot of them, mm -hmm. at one time or another started a recording studio, either for personal use or to make a living. Because, of course, you could live on the, the money that musicians are going to spend. Do you have a recording studio in your I, home? I built a small studio in my basement when I first bought a house in... That's and, the first thing we did in this house. You sure it is, yeah. In, yeah. And I had one growing up in my basement. I always had a tape recorder, and I built it into a full-fledged studio. And uh, it was back in the in the 70s. Did you use egg cartons on the wall? Yeah, <laughs> put egg cartons on the wall and all kinds of stuff like that. Bought the... the uh, the hottest new microphones that were out every mm -hmm. day and then all of a sudden the technology started changing I just was too lazy to keep up with it and I found that when digital came along I found it was so much easier to get somebody who knows that about that stuff because I just stopped learning yeah. at a certain age. And nowadays it's like you can set up a studio for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah I'm working on an album now and uh, the producer that's worked with me since my first album has moved to Asheville, North Carolina. So I will drive down there and I'll camp for a week down there and make the album down there because rather than do it myself and try and do it half-ass, I'll do it with the guy that knows what he's doing. Yeah. What kind of music do you listen to? Oh, you know what? It's hard to, it's hard to listen to music for enjoyment when you do it for a living and something changes in you back up and the way you listen to music. And I discovered that when I started listening to some old, uh, some old Beach Boy songs that I grew up with as a kid. Mm. And you start hearing them differently, you're hearing them te technically, and 
you start appreciating what what Brian did on all these mm. things and it's just all that listening to sitting in my car outside your lawn all summer long all that stuff is gone now because you listen to things technically and it's really hard to get back I can't remember the last album or record that I listened to just for sheer for sheer pleasure or for sheer lack of anything else to do. Now it's, I always wondered why Gary doesn't listen to music in his car but that that's yeah, probably why yeah. It's it's hard to do it's not it's it, every time you listen to music it's work you're working 24 hours a day right. I'm, when I'm working on a record I'm listening to other to music and listening to the mixes I'm listening to the chord progressions listening to where the drums are in the mix. Yeah, you can't just like just enjoy you it. You can't just enjoy it and then I'll put on the uh, the 60s station then I'll just re-listen to the stuff I listened to as a kid. It does have the ability to take you back sometimes. Mm -hmm. But I love the fact that rather than trying to pump up your image based on who you've shared the stage with, some, some real legends like Stevie Ray Vaughan and Peter, Paul and Mary, B.B. Yeah. King, you make a point on your website of admitting that, quote, none of them were aware of your presence. Yeah. <laughs> so are you naturally self-effacing or are you hoping that one of them will come forward and acknowledge you? No, I am to a point. That was kind of a, a joke because I've had, on rare occasions, I have made lasting relationships with a lot of the people that I have opened up for. When I first started out, it was a badge of honor. It was always a badge of honor to share a stage yeah, with somebody. But sure. when you get down to, in the reality of it, we opened for, she was 16 when she had her first hit. She was out touring again. I can't remember her name. It's probably better I don't say it because her producer told us as we were warming up that we were not allowed to make eye contact with her. When she came on stage, we were to have no contact with her at all, not Whoa. to talk to her and not to have eye contact <laughs> with her. So that's the kind of world that is when you're opening up for people. I opened a show for uh, Keb Moe. And to this day, we're very good friends. And I know you work as a solo artist, but you also work as a group? I do. past few years, I've put together uh, full-fledged uh, concerts, not tributes, because that's another bad word in this business. I do a Bob Dylan show where I do my versions of all Bob Dylan music called Bob Fest. And I've been doing that for 20 years at the Count Basie, and I get some of the best musicians around here. So I've done, I call them artistic theatrical tributes. I don't dress up like Bob Dylan. I don't dress up like Van Morrison. Or yeah. I don't dress up like Tom Waits. I do a Tom Waits show. I just do a concert in my style, my... Yeah, to kind of honor those artists. Yeah. yeah. But you're not only a singer and a musician and a recording artist, but you're also a stage performer, I understand. Now, I, I love being on stage, in case nobody has noticed that, but I'd love to hear your take on how that compares to being a single performer. It was very short-lived. I found out very soon that I was not cut out to be on stage. I was a musical director on a play, an off-Broadway play, that required me to be on stage as the band leader all the time. And they decided halfway through the show to give me a line. And I did it as many different ways as I could. Like these pretzels, pretzels are making me thirsty. Right, right. <laughs> I can still remember the line. It was, look, over there, up, up over top of the hill, there's a stranger coming. And I kept saying it, I kept messing it up. And then the director finally said, all right, let's cut that line. Go back to playing the banjo. <laughs> I, I'd never understood the term tech week. I didn't know what that was. But for anyone who's ever been in the theater, man, it's, a, it's an amazing, amazing time. Yeah. It's hard. It's the hardest work you'll ever do in your life. Of course, everybody now is dealing with the coronavirus, so live performances are rare, if at all. But even before this happened, venues for bands and even solo performers were getting fewer and fewer, and audiences were getting older and older. So where do you see the future of live music? It's hard to imagine. I, I can't see a theater opening it, in the next year or two. I just don't see it happening. And, and nobody would, would go back to a theater right now. I think the one thing about this this break 
that we're having is that people never realized how much they need live music and how important it is. Mm. And I think it will have a resurgence like it never had before. It'll become more popular in venues that really lend themselves and really go out of their way to support live music. They put up venues that put up stage and lights and PA systems like that. They'll thrive because I've been off for, you know, six months, eight months like everybody else. And I, there isn't a day goes by where someone doesn't ask me, when are you playing again? When are you, when can we come in out and see you? And not just me, it's everybody. I mean, yeah. Had, I had four shows lined up for this year and four major concerts, and they were all canceled. But I'll, I'll come back and do them again. If someone came to you and said that they were considering a career as a performer, what would be your advice to them? If they said singer to me, I would right away tell them, just learn the craft, work at the craft, because you can't just be a singer because you don't play anything else. You know, maracas are not acceptable in this business. Learn what it is you do. I tried to, when I first realized that I had to sing to make a living, I tried to get some coaching, but not to change what I did, just to to make what I did last longer so I could do it throughout. My, I have no idea why I'm still able to sing or how I'm still able to abuse that I've done. Um, I don't know if it's a great, great way to make a living, but it's, there aren't 2% of the people that musicians are, that are making a living at, at doing it, making any money doing it. It's such a small percentage. It's kind of like being an athlete and wanting to get to the NBA. Yeah, if you, could, if you realize how many, how many baseball players there are in the world, and there's like 500 of them that are actually making a living at it, but you, you play it for the love of it. Now, everybody wants to, to get to the big leagues, but you have to have a passion for it. And you have to you have to practice at it. You have to work at it. If you want to be a singer, you need to learn what the notes are. Go learn where your range is. Learn all that stuff. And just don't be a singer because you can't be a player. Because being a player is too hard. Singing's easy, and playing's hard. You got to learn how to read. You know, when I started, when I joined Holiday Express, I had to relearn how to read music like I did when I was in eighth grade. You should be able to know your craft, but not to where it hurts what you do. Right. You know, it's got to come from inside. And some of it's got to come from here. So it's got it's got to be a mixture of both, in your in your soul and in your head. Well, Pat, thank you so much for making the time to sit and talk with me. I really I really enjoyed it. it. I'm looking forward to seeing some of your live streaming. I'm uh, I'm looking forward to getting out and playing again. It's thank great you. talking to you. You do, Doug. I said hi. I will. I love the arts and I love to talk, and that's why I'm talking to local artists. And if you like listening, then subscribe to my podcast. You can do it on this page, on iTunes, or anywhere you get podcasts. I'm Lucille Sapio, and this is Hazlitt Coffee Talk.